All right. So we're all getting bombarded with, with, you know, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, everything, you know, in the universe is on sale. And, you know, I think that parallels the shooting world where, you know, somebody, you know, goes shooting and they think, oh, I'm going to make a special bag to fix this problem, or I'm going to add a gadget to clamp on to this special barricade or, um, in all the gizmos and, 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 and widgets to help kind of fix problems. And, you know, I, I think that's cool because humans are innovative, but I really think w- what was interesting and why I wanted to get you on and just ask the question was I kind of see a progression of stability because really most of those problems are either decision-making or stability issues. But in terms of stability, you know, if you're shooting offhand, you got a huge wobble and there's a couple tricks you could probably apply most likely centered around the fundamentals of marksmanship to go from, let's say a 12 inch group at a hundred yards offhand to six inches. Right. And, and, and then maybe you have to do something else to go from six inches to five inches. And, and maybe those don't help you go from five to four. Maybe you have to completely give those up. And, and so I wanted to ask you about over the years, things that you've noticed that help take you from, you know, bigger to a little bit smaller and then the mental shifts that have to happen and, and why it might not be a good idea to just run out and buy a gadget if you're a 12 inch shooter, because you, you don't, you don't learn the content that you need to learn in between point A and point B. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, totally. No, I know exactly where you're going with the question. And, and I actually just talked about it because like, if you think about the, the progression in a way with barricades, like right? we used to run a barricade and we did put our rear bag on the barricade because we knew, you know, you didn't want hard to hard. You want hard to soft and things like that. Well, then you fast forward to when they started creating devices. We had the wedges and the clamps and the different things. And to do the wedge, that was like a $400 upgrade to your uh, you know, your rifle. And then immediately, like within a year, year and a half, the wedges are gone. And now they went to bags and the game changer comes around. And, and when we look at it, the game changer is not cheap, 160 bucks. And that drove bags up in cost where we we've known for a hundred years, you could shoot off a sandbag. Our grandfathers shot off sandbags on benches. And now when you're talking about, you know, how do you make an offhand shot more stable? Absolutely. You can. The problem is time. It takes a lot of time to set that offhand shot up correctly to reduce your groups. And if you look at it, the paper sports tell us that because paper sports shooting your five shots or whatever, your group on paper and then moving, they're giving them 20 minutes for prone. So these guys have 20 minutes to shoot their shot. We have 90 seconds, right? Two minutes or less. And that's why we went to products and not process. Because the time it takes 
to execute that shot to reduce your offhand group from 12 inches to three inches is too much time. You know what I mean? Because you have to set up your natural point of aim perfect. You got to check it, test it. I mean, we have fine-tuned tests for our fundamentals, which a lot of ways are a dry fire, right? You progress up to a series of dry fires, and those dry fires take time. And in my class, my caveat in class is given time and opportunity. We hardly ever have that time and opportunity in the competitions today versus what we're really trying to accomplish with a precision rifle is distance, right? We want to extend our distance, extend our will as far away from something as possible to protect ourselves. Well, distance gives you time and opportunity, right? Well, we're eliminating the time and opportunity part by putting the clock on us because the clock is the only stressor we have. You know what? I, and, and so by reducing the time, we're now reducing our ability to properly execute the shot. So now we lo start looking for those tips and tricks to compromise, bridge the gap, whatever you want to call it. I mean, I talk about it with rear bags and bipods. We see they absolutely make a difference when you're doping your rifle, when you're processing, when you're gathering data. Then we jump to a compromise method of using that data. And then everybody goes, see, I hit the plate with a compromise. So why does this matter? Well, the reality is it does matter, but we'll make the plate a little bigger the time's a little shorter, and all we have to do is touch steel, not score an X-ring, you know? So to me, that's where we kind of screwed up a little bit in going gear heavy. Now, as you said, there's a ton of gear out there that helps and things that make our lives easier, but then you have to figure out when does it no longer help you and now slows you down and distracts you or have we figured out through trying a tool that there's actually a better method because our mind goes to the tool rather than the process we're like you and i are doing we're looking at these processes we're looking at the long game of them and we're seeing where people fall down because it's we call them up and say hey come to the range shoot like it's a match, like you should be ready, show up, ready to roll. Then they show up and they're not ready to go. They're missing targets. They're off. Their timings are off. And that's because the process has been shortcutted in favor of the, the, the tool. Well, we're looking at bringing the process back to the shooter, but how do you streamline the process make it less um demanding i guess in a way or less time intensive because i can't set up an offhand shot and take 15 minutes to do it i have to set up an offhand shot in 15 seconds and the only way i'm going to be better at that is if i practice that offhand shot for 9000 reps well i don't have 9000 rep worth of time 
in my life to do it. So that's when we start looking for compromises. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. So if somebody wants to go, like, I'm, I'm trying to think of, um, you know, somebody's like, well, I want to get better. And, and that's kind of a, it's a generic question that kind of doesn't have a good answer. But you hear a lot of people say, well, I'm going to start a dry fire practice. Do you think there's a minimum? Do you think that there's a, a point where it, it becomes effective if you have less equipment when you're dry firing versus more? Because I, I can imagine a scenario where if I put a sandbag on a kitchen table, my dry fire position building is going to be very stable and I'm probably not going to be learning very much other than demonstrating the fact that gravity is working on that system. Whereas if I try to dry fire offhand, um, you know, I might have such a big wobble that I get intimidated and don't understand what I'm looking for in terms of natural point of aim that would then carry over to a stable shooting platform. So what do you think are the, the kind of tipping points in somebody's practice that would kind of jump out for them rather than, rather than, you know, when they think, Oh, well, I'm going to buy this bag cause it's going to help me get better. Is, is, is there a, maybe a better well, answer? Yeah. I mean, now I know. Yeah. Cause here's what's going, cause we see it with other, with other, you know, quote unquote instructors, the ones that are sort of the tour guides. And they'll tell you with your equipment, like you have, I've seen it and I've talked to people about it where they've gone to competition style classes and they don't have a competition rifle set up correctly. Maybe they have a Tika. And and in fact, this was one of those scenarios that I, I heard about is a guy goes to a comp class from a comp guy who, you know, I'll teach you all the tips and tricks. Well, when he shows up, he has a Tika and it's pretty factoried out and there's things. Well, then when he goes to the instruction of this person, this person says, take your flat bottom weighted competition rifle, drop it on your bag like this and do this. Well, the guy goes, well, I can't do that. I don't have this rifle. He goes, well, you're out of luck. You need this rifle, not this. And he can't explain to that person how to make this scenario work the same way. Well, we do the opposite. We look at the individual and we say, what's going to work for you? Where are you falling down? And where would your practice be better spent? And you absolutely can clean up things. And it's not just practice or dry fire. It's perfect practice or correct dry fire. Like if you're just flipping the bolt up and hitting the trigger, that's not repeating what you're doing on the line. You can't just go through dry fire where you're kind of looking in the back of your head, staring up into the ceiling at your house and click the trigger. You want to actually pay attention to what your finger's doing, to how you address that trigger. Because one of the big things we see on my side, on the fundamental side of shooting is they address the rifle different from shot to shot. Pat of the finger, tip of the finger, joint of the finger, all in a five-shot string. They'll move their finger from one end to the other on the shoe, never being consistent. Well, dry fire is supposed to fix that. 
My finger needs to be on the pad. I need to be 90 degree. I should have an index point. And then when I execute that shot, it should be a press break freeze with an imperceivable press. Then you want to say to yourself, I shot, I see the result, then I run the bolt, right? Because if I just go bang, run the bolt, bang, run the bolt, well, I can't see anything. I can no longer pay attention to what's going on downrange or with my bullet in the air because I've moved the rifle. So I want to press, break, freeze, see the result of my shot, run the bolt. Because I know when I go live, when I know when I'm in competition with a clock, I'm going to be faster, right? I'm going to move faster just from human nature. So if I take the time and do my practice right, if I'm executing those things I can focus on correctly when I don't have recoil in the way, when I don't have, you know, these other distractions wind and and different things i'm now home dry firing well that's when i have to execute it perfect right and i have to do that stuff the same way over and over again so then when i'm on the clock in the field doing it for points or for real it's correct and i would i would be curious if if you were practicing on a barricade and you were dry firing without a bag because I remember a time I was hanging out with Jacob Jacob said oh well you know you don't you don't need a bag you just need a sling yeah and I thought and well and and in the back of my mind I thought that's crazy you know there's no way I could shoot the same so I kind of called his bluff I was like fine fine let me measure it on paper and he goes great so I put on my sling and uh did two methods one kind of wrapped around me and the other one wrapped around my arm and the only modification that he had me do was move the front attachment point to the right side of the rifle versus the yep, left that's where it's supposed to be for a right-handed shooter for the um so the torque balanced out yep and and i shot paper thinking like man this guy's crazy and it was almost imperceivable the difference between shooting it off of a bag versus. So, I mean, what I'm saying but is why, was, not, but why no sling is time sling takes too long and that's why no sling. And here's the thing with Jacob, like Jacob did an offhand shot at tack pro at a thousand yards. There was a shot made and then bill doubled or nothing bet him a hundred bucks on an offhand shot at a thousand. And when Jacob shoots that, he shoots it like a carbine. He doesn't shoot it like a high-power rifle shooter. He pulls the rifle up quickly like a carbine squared off forward. Well, Bill didn't give him a time limit. And Jacob spent 15 minutes setting his natural point of aim. So he picks the rifle up. Is it on the target? Nope, drops the rifle. Readjusts, picks the rifle up. Is it on the target? Nope, drops the rifle. Picks the rifle up. Is it on the target? Nope. Drops the rifle. And he's adjusting and adjusting and adjusting until finally he gets to where he's happy. He pulls the rifle up, immediately pulls the trigger. It was rifle up, bang, down. And he said, pay me. And before the sound came back, he knew he hit the plate. 
That's an awesome story. I never heard that. <laughs> yeah, and, and and with Bill Davidson at Tac Pro, and what it was was, and Bill was going, "Dude, take the shot," and Jacob said, "No, you get you didn't give me a time limit for this bet. I'm setting myself up perfect because I mean that's what he did. He would do these things where I'm not shooting prone for a year, and he was unbeatable when he was." shooting comps Jacob you couldn't beat Jacob and and that was and it wasn't like some of the people today it was then and he was beating you by six stages and you weren't even close and now we're talking he's using his AW 308 you know 200,000 rounds through his action with 12 barrels on the gun and you're not beating this guy and he's not using the tools he's using himself in the sling and that's it because that's what he practiced. Now the difference today, like I said, is time. It takes a lot of practice and it takes extra time to get in those uh, positions. And that's why we don't see it today in my, you know, at least that's what I see. But if you spent that time doing, doing what Jacob is doing, like let's say if you can't do it without a sling, and you do it with a sling, so, uh, just enough support where you know it. It allows you to ha- you know refine your parameters of natural point of aim and technique. If you if you got that, you said okay. When I stand, you know at this angle with my feet like this, you know here's my refined body mechanics. When you went to put that on a bag. Don't you think you would be faster and less inclined to pull a shot with all the tools? Oh, absolutely. I like I I'm I'm still a hundred percent convinced people are driving towards their um I've seen it. I mean, just to sh- I have to film it to show somebody. People drive towards their levels when they w- watch them. They go and they get on the bag, they jump up in the thing and they go, my level. And then they look at it and they drive towards it and they don't even realize because they're moving so fast that they don't even realize they're doing it and they're pushing that way. Just like when we looked at Lemon on the clock, we put Lemon on the clock and he was fast and I'm watching Lemon shoot and he's peeling off the gun and he's pulling everything to the right and he's missing to the right. Because he's peeling off the gun to get to the bolt as fast as he can. And he's pulling the gun with him when he's trying to move that fast. And what do we tell him? Dude, slow down. You have easily, you have two seconds to spare in that follow-up that you can go two seconds slower. Mm -hmm. Just looking at the shot timer. And that'll keep you from pulling the gun off the target. And they don't see what they're doing because they're moving too fast. And they can argue all day they're great shots and they're winning matches and they're doing this stuff, but their accuracy is nowhere near where it it should be in a way. But it's nowhere near, like, they'll argue me, Jacob, and us back in the day, we shot worse. No, we shot unbalanced 308 work guns that didn't fit the props we were using today, you guys all have flat bottoms, weights, balances, all different tools. So the rifle fits what we're doing. Well, we did it with a work gun. And honestly, 
Yeah, it does. Your hit percentages are bigger, but the plates haven't changed. And we were shooting 308s. So where, where's really the big thing other than you're getting more hits in less time? You're not getting better hits. Right, right. Well, the people, right, people, humans are humans. We didn't evolve over the last couple decades. We produced better equipment. You see that with sports, too. As, like, right. as, you know, like road cycling is, is a pretty classic example. The bikes are lighter and so times are faster, but humans aren't inherently more fit. I mean, we're selecting from maybe a slightly better genetic pool now that there's money in it. You know, yeah, it well, it, it, we learned Lance Armstrong was was a myth. Right. But, you know, if, 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 if human progression through a sport is a very small percentage, you see some big jumps, like when swimming. Remember in the Olympics when they had those shark skin leotard like bodysuit all of a sudden everybody was like seconds faster and miraculously you know everybody was seconds faster because they came out with this piece of equipment and then they banned it from competition because it was more of a competition of who can afford it and that's not fair in terms of global Right. right three guys have a shark suit and you know 12 others don't so yeah you, know, yeah, first you can't do that. Right. Right. So, you know, as a swimmer, I thought that was really interesting myself, you know, and then watching cyclists and, um, but with shooting, it's kind of the same thing. So, you know, it's not that I don't, I don't think shooters are inherently better. We've just refined systems and created here to get around shortcomings of practice. But I guess like what I'm fascinated with is, you know, how, how do we give up some of that equipment in order to refine our training so that when we do have that equipment, right, it would be silly not to use it in a competition, but I think it would be silly to train with it because you're not exposing those elements that only expose themselves when you take away that gear. Right. And I I can tell you shooters aren't better. They're actually sloppier. There's training scars today. We just, the, the equipment in like the eight ounce triggers, we weren't running triggers that light. We're running work triggers, two and a half, three pound triggers. Now they're at eight ounces. That's a huge advantage with the weighted heavy rifle. They're not better. They, they, they may know how to steady the gun quicker or point at it, but then they're letting the weight of the rifle, the bags do a lot of the work, and then they're touching the trigger. But their trigger control isn't better. It's worse because the triggers are lighter. So they they snap the trigger or they tap the trigger, but there's no penalty because the weight of the trigger is so light compared to the weight of the gun they've added to it that the slap doesn't show. But if you put them on a hunting rifle with a normal hunting rifle trigger, that same slap will appear. So I guess like my challenge to like the listeners and what I thought would be pretty cool and why I wanted to get you on is to say that maybe rather than like buying you know, I think the, the PRS joke is that you buy impact action and a foundation stock and a tangent theta scope, you know, and you're basically at 90%. And and it's funny because that all lends to one click. The impact right. with the foundation with the tangent theta is a single click within the PRS that just has a loud voice. Right. right, right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, right. It, 
but but it doesn't make people better. It, right. It, it it covers up what you actually need to work on to improve. And so if people are listening, conscious that you know for just a training thought for the self-motivated would be to find an area that exposes your weakness by taking away gear and, and focus on those fundamental aspects so that when the gear comes back, you won't have as many weaknesses that you're trying to cover up. You'll actually have the skill set, And I think you could do that with dry fire. I think, you know, I, I haven't dry fired a whole lot recently, but, but I was thinking about, pulling back out a sling you know i think jacob jacob's carbine sling i really like the rifles only carbine one with the elastic rear yep but i was yeah, the bungee in the back yeah that's a good one pulling that out and uh you know putting together something that was you know i mean i shoot light rifles anyway so i'm not i'm not you know the person that i'm talking to really but but pulling out that sling forgetting a bag for a while and you know maybe getting a VTAC board with a piece of plywood that's three quarters of an inch so that it doesn't balance and just sit there perfectly but rather you have to do your fundamental checks and put through your driver process if it takes you you got some kind of wiggle going on yeah no I, what you're saying is is absolutely and 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 that'll work, you know. Um, that's the that's the thing is the practice, and and how do you get somebody to practice in a different way, and, and like the off season and try it, and then you can absolutely improve and do what you're saying, like your craft drill at a hundred yards. Look at all the craft drill work you did at a hundred yards. That's more than uh, fine to learn your positions and to do it on paper and then to shrink your groups, you know. Right, right. And then as your, your speed of natural point of aim comes up, you're going to be more inclined when you rush onto a bag to rush into the correct position. Right. Or it'll be harder to make those mistakes of I'm going too fast to outrun my fundamentals. My, my guess is if people applied those tricks by taking away equipment rather than buying all the Black Friday equipment and they put in the time looking back at those fundamentals. So what would be the things that somebody would focus on with their reticle if they were to try something like this, you know, from a fundamental uh, well, standpoint, what, what do you the, the MPA, the MPA to point your rifle without having to fine tune it or reset it. So can I index on that target with my MPA? What's my, my, most efficient method of getting the rifle to bag to target. That's one. Then you got to look at your trigger control and you want to be looking at what you're doing with your trigger control and follow through trigger control and follow through are, the, are together. So you can't mention one without the other, but then lastly, your breathing, you have to be able, because that screws people up when their breathing has them out of whack. You need to be able to look at how you come and you take your breaths when you're putting less influence into the rifle and bag because you're on a barricade or on something unstable. So how do you mess with your breathing to make sure that you're still breathing and not holding your breath, but you're not moving the rifle off target during your, 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 your breathing cycle. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. 
And you could see all of that with your reticle dry firing. You would see those subtle influences if it was light enough or there was a least amount of support so that every one of those things would move it. Right? Yes. Yes, exactly. So you would isolate those and then sight pictures really should be right there. Our scopes and everything back in your power off and all that should take care of sight picture. So that's what I want to look at is what am I doing when I move up to that prop and how can my fundamentals be, I don't want to say magnified, but how can my fundamentals be front and center and not compromised versus letting the equipment take over? Right, right, right. I think that's, I mean, I, I think that's so important for every level of shooter because there's so many things that tell us to go buy stuff. But yes. the problem is most of those things, when you apply one of those fundamentals incorrectly, you don't, you just don't see it. Like if I put a, my, a heavy bag and a heavy rifle down, I can hold my breath and basically throw, you know, somebody could slap my hand to cause me to fire the trigger. I could do everything wrong. And my reticle is going to stay on the target. Yeah. I yeah. mean, just watching you with that, that remp, uh, the Springfield, when you had that Springfield 2020 the other day and watching you shoot that kind of like by itself, you weren't moving. And it's like, wow, that break was really working well for you there. And you were able to take that rifle on the barricade without any extra gear. And the thing was staying on target and not moving. So that's kind of where the practice needs to go. Yeah, and it goes to just right. That's a ten-pound rifle, and it, there's nothing fancy about it. It's a round bottom. There's no flat base to it. But at some point, you could, you know, right? I think just the addition of the break makes a huge difference uh, when you're live firing, you know, versus taking the break off. Um, which, which I like the ability to do and say, okay, well, look, with a break, this is what we're going to see. But without a break, it's going to be different. And it's going to tell us a different story. So let's take it off and see what it tells us. And and I think that what, what I get excited by is the prospect of having somebody say, you know what, instead of, you know, spending $500 on a bag, maybe I'm just going to spend, you know, $50 on a sling and practice it slow so that I know when I get into position, I'm correct. And then all I have to do is work on lowering the time of getting into position correctly. After which, you know, maybe it would be good to get a bag or maybe I don't, maybe you'll find that you shoot just as well with the bag that you have, but that'll transfer to any rifle system with a better understanding of your shooting ability rather than the shooting ability of the gear you bought because at some point that's going to hit a wall and it's going to take a lot of effort. And, and I think uh, that'll be a real challenge because you expect a level of performance, but that expectation is founded in reliance on equipment rather than reliance on skill, which, which you and, and Jacob excelled at. Uh, yeah, using- we did it every day and we had to do it with units that didn't have the equipment. You know, so we were dealing with work guns, you know, three weeks on, one week off. Two of those were military. One of those is civilian. Well, you had to deal with their equipment and how they're because we were more worried about them than us. 
you know? And so our focus was make that work, make that work, make that work. And the thing we dealt with with the military guys, especially with the Mark 11s, the semi-autos, when they missed, they dumped a mag. And that we had to try to get them out of the cone of lead mindset because they would yeah. miss. And then they, they, they go, you, they go boom and they take a shot and then they miss. And then they go pop, 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 pop. And, the, and you go, what are you doing, dude? And he goes, cone of lead. And it's like, yeah, you're a sniper. <laughs> and, you know, and then to get them into recognizing that. And so it's a different kind of mentality. And, and so, you know, that's what forced us to be that way. And if you notice, like right when we get out of it, right when we're not doing those classes, the wars are ended, the training's now specialized and more focused. It's smaller. It's not big level, you know. Now the competition has taken over again and we're going comp stuff, which is gear. Where back then it was technique and repetition. And then the gear kind of followed after slowly. Well, as soon as the war started in 2012, 2012, the PRS kicks in. Now everything in the last eight years is gear. Yeah. And, and they're, they're fun games, but, but they're fun games, you know, especially if you can measure your progress. And if your progress is measured in upgrading your equipment, you're kind of stuck in the herd. But if your progress is measured on optimizing the stuff that you have, I think your progress would be more or less unlimited, even though it takes a different focus, right? I think the very yeah. best shooters, you know, down the road, are going to be the ones that refocus on their fundamentals because you've reached the limit of what gear is capable of. Absolutely. And they all know it's a fine tune of their data or how they're, you know, like we were talking uh, this week when you're looking, you know, can I take an extra three seconds and look at my arm bar or do I need to know the win for every target and run it through my head? You know, what am I, the different things that different people are doing is, is a, a piece of their each, one success and then you try to kind of match it and put it all together but it's like you know you were talking like something morgan king does and it's like well i do that too but then you're looking at it like well we should think about it this way as well and because different people like you said humans learn different ways different things so some of us are thinking at it in one way others are thinking at it in another and then you have you and I in the middle trying to kind of balance those two to, to be individualized to the shooter, but with uh, universal truths in a lot of ways. Right. Right. Yeah. I, t yeah, man, that, that that's really exciting. And I, yeah. I, I see like things are going to come out of it because you, you know, there's, a, it's a good opportunity to say, okay, great. Now we have, you know, we have equipment that shoots fine. Let's focus on the shooter. And if you focus on the shooter and then they use all of the equipment, it's, yes. it's going well, to jump out of I, everyone I've again. Said, you know, over and over and over again, and I've said to you, to guys, the podcast, that, like when Mark and I teach our class, we don't care what the plate looks like. We don't even really watch the plate except when we're doping them to plus or minus the water line. 
But really, when we're doing our evals, when we're doing our fundamental portion of our class, we never look downrange. We're only looking at the student. Now, when we're shooting groups, we walk down and we start looking at it, but I'm seeing them improve there. So I don't have to. Now, if I have a student, I'll go to one person in the class that's not where I think he should be. I got to see what's going on with you. I'm watching every shot you take, maybe not three or two, like I will with somebody else. I'm watching all five. Like I watch three with you, move on to this guy, see two of his, move on to this guy, watch, you know, and then I move on down the line. When you find the one group that's not performing, well, then you go and you look at, and you may show up on the line and walk up and go, oh, fuck, the guy's shooting selling Beloit you know, that seller and Beloit ammo. And you go, oh, he's using that shit. Then there's no way his group's going to be under an inch with that. And so you, you, you keep with him and you got to tell him, dude, you're doing it right, but your ammo shit. So you, you have to be able to look at that. And, and to me, it's a balance of both sides of it. But we put a heavier focus on the front side, the shooter, and less focus on the back of the target unless the target's not getting hit the way we want. But I mean, I can listen and tell you if you're hitting, you know, I'm just going to hear it. Yeah, he got it. He's good. If I don't hear it, then I'm going to go, well, wait a minute. Why didn't I hear it? Mm -hmm. You know, and and, and that's kind of how we operate, which I think is different, at least Mark and I, which I think is different than other people. From what I've seen, the main guy goes on the spotter, and then he's watching the plate and then it's like, yeah, you shot a good group on the plate. Everything's good. Well, yeah, the guy's got an $8,000 rifle. He hand loaded his loads and all that. Yeah, he's going to be a good group. But where is he screwing up? You know, where is that flyer coming from? Where is that one miss coming from? And that's what we're looking at. Yeah. Yeah. Which is so important for the growth and long term progress of the shooter, which I think yes. is cool. Man, I think we hit good stuff. I'm going to... Yeah, um, man, it was real good. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for doing that. I'm going to I'm gonna hit the stop button here in a sec. But uh, man, that, that's so cool. It's nice to have like these little tidbits that are, you know, I, I think really enlightening and pinpoint something that is a kind of a, a mindset switch. But that mindset switch, yeah, at first it sucks to see, wow, I'm not shooting as good as I do. But on the other hand, it exposes where you need to actually work. And if you do, it'll amplify your results when everything's there. Well, and the last thing I'll say with that is when we change people like on a big level, which we do, you have to understand we're, we're going to tear down what you've already built. Like you built a house. We don't think it's straight or right. So now I got to rip that house down, repour the foundation and there's going to be a period where it's going to look like shit because I just knocked your bad house down. Well, then once I rebuild you, so you have to understand a certain level of patience with people when they are being rebuilt from the ground up. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's a good point, right? Because that, that is hard. Yeah, because that's hard to watch. And, and some people don't like to see it. But it usually goes away quicker than they realize. But because we're an instant... You know, we shoot, we see, we shoot, we see. We want to see instant improvement. Give me, mm-hmm. a, give me a half a, a half a day, 
And then I'll show you that instant improvement by the next day. When you show up on the next day, all that's gone, you know, but you got to give me the day to tear it down. And in the beginning, you may have a shittier group. Yeah. Yeah. So. Right. But now you've got a solid foundation and you can build whatever you want on a skyscraper. Then it's repetitions after that, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Cool, All right, sick. I'm going to hit this, but thank you. Mm-hmm. All right. I, you, let me just hit stop recording.